0: Well, it is a delight to be here with you. The Lord Jesus Christ is in this place. He has blessed you with a beautiful building, but God is not coming back for a beautiful brick building. He's coming back for blood-bought believers. The Bible said that he that winneth souls is wise. I'll be honest, I never felt smart, but the Bible said that we could be wise. Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, and he's coming soon. Would you give the Lord a loud Arizona round of applause? Amen? Amen. I'd like to share with you three verses tonight in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 will begin 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Seeing we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race set before us. Christianity is not a sprint. It is a marathon. Verse 2, the three most important words strung together in all the Bible, looking unto Jesus. You've looked to the world, but tonight you need to look in the Word because you'll never make a difference in the world unless you've been alone with the Lord in the word looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy what's joy Jesus first other second and yourself last looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despised the shame and is currently sitting at the right hand of the father verse 3 consider him lest you faint and grow weary Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. I want to share with you as fast as I can in 25 minutes tonight, I want to give you three points. First of all, Hebrews 12 in verse 1 talks about a crowd and the cloud. Seeing we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, there is a crowd and the cloud. And I submit to you, there are three sets of people staring at you tonight, whether you believe it or not. There is the crowd and the cloud. These are the saints and the Savior who have gone on before. And today, because they've been to the other side with Christ, they can peek over the portals of glory. They can see through cement. They can see through the ceiling tonight. And they are not criticizing you, critiquing you, or condemning you. But the saints and Savior in heaven are pushing for you, they're pulling for you, and they're praying for you. There is a crowd in the cloud. I think of the saints and the Savior, but on earth there's also a crowd. There are the saved and the sinners on both sides of us wherever you walk, wherever you work. When you go to school, next couple weeks, when you go to work in the morning, when you're at Walmart, when you're shopping for groceries, there are a crowd, a cloud on both sides of you. Above, we got the saints and the Savior, but next to you are the saved and the sinners. But there's not only a crowd above, a crowd beside, but there's a crowd below. Just like the saints and the Savior can see through the ceiling, I'm telling you there's a crowd below who can see through the carpet tonight. And it is Satan and those separated forever. The first crowd is in heaven. The second crowd is on earth. But the third crowd tonight is in hell. And they would give anything to sit where you sit tonight one more time. The Bible says what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You can have a Ferrari, but if you don't know forgiveness, you're broke. Nothing wrong with a Lexus, but if you died without the Lord, you're broke. Nothing wrong with the Corvette, but if you died without Christ, you're broke. And what I want you to see tonight, there is a crowd in the cloud, but verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author, and finish our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You know, Good Friday... We say today that the original Black Friday is not the day after Thanksgiving when multiplied millions of American females get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go shopping to buy presents for people they don't even like, for people who are going to get a gift they don't even want. The first Good Friday is not the day after Thanksgiving. I submit to you it was 2,000 years ago. On another Good Friday, good for who? For us, bad for him, but no, Jesus said the joy of the cross. I taught Jesus how to die, but tonight in Arizona, Jesus is teaching us still how to live. And Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary, and I've been there in Golgotha. The Bible says that the place of a skull, and when the light of the world died, The whole world turned black the first Good Friday. And there's not only a crowd in the cloud, but there's Christ who was on the cross. Confucius didn't die for you. Muhammad didn't die for you. Buddha didn't die for you. Joseph Smith didn't die for you. Religion didn't die for you. Jesus Christ alone died for you. Today would you live for him? the crowd in the cloud, there's the Christ on the cross. In 1912, on the maiden voyage of the RMS Titanic, the ship that God himself could not sink is what the banner, the marquee, the marketing team back then said. The ship that God himself couldn't sink. The Bible says pride goes before the fall. And on that maiden voyage, that when it went out in the Atlantic and hit an iceberg and four of the five steel compartments were ripped on the side of that ship and it's at the bottom. Today, as a Fox News contributor, if a pope, a president, a prime minister is shot, it's on CNN and Fox News in 22 minutes. In 1912, it took 30 days for news to get around the globe and they sent out by Morse code. There was no cell phone, there was no texting, there was no email, facemail. There was none of that, FaceTime. In 1912, they sent by Morse code a telegram that took a month to get around the globe. It simply said to the 2,000 family, friends and fiancés, there's been an accident in the Atlantic. Come to the shore where the ship went down and you will find the status if your loved ones lived or if your loved one died. In 1912, they didn't poll preachers, but what the society leaders of that day, they said you will find 2,000 names on top of a 40 foot tall billboard. You will see a line drawn from top to bottom and you'll find a single word on the left-hand column. You'll see a single word on the right-hand column, and 2,000 names were on either side of the columns. The single word that they chose, not Billy Graham, not A.W. Tozer, not Calvin, not Charles Stanley, not David Jeremiah, not Pastor Emmanuel, what they picked in 1912, true story, the single word on the left-hand column was the word saved and the few that survived at sea. In 1912, the singular word on the right-hand column, they used the word lost. And all those that died at sea. I got saved 35 years ago last month at the age of seven. By God's grace, I read the entire Bible from cover to cover in eighth grade. And 13 years old, I read the entire Bible. It's been reading me ever since. But the word purgatory is never mentioned once in all the Bible you're either saved or you're lost. And there's not only a crowd in the cloud and Christ on the cross, but there are Christians who are in a crisis. You say, Frank, how can they be Christians who are in a crisis? I was on a television show in Dallas one time, and they asked me on national television, Frank, what is the greatest cancer in Christianity today? I said 30 years ago it would be infidelity. 20 years ago, I would say it was immaturity. 10 years ago, it was insecurity. But I said with tears on national television, I said, if you've asked me what the greatest cancer in Christianity today, it is professional jealousy. Most clergy, churches, and Christians are so busy competing with the church next door, they've taken their eyes off the lost and multiplied millions are going to hell. Most Christians got enough of Jesus to get them to heaven, but apparently not enough of Jesus to keep a friend out of hell. Some preach, some teach, but if you're saved, you better learn to reach. I don't evangelize because I'm an evangelist. I do it because I'm a committed Christian. Good Christians keep the faith. Committed Christians share the faith. I heard recently I shared with Cornell yesterday Getting out of the airport, I said, sir, the statistics now in America, 9,000 churches did not baptize a single soul in 2013. It gets worse, 27,000 didn't baptize someone 18 years or younger. That's over 36,000 churches did not see a single soul saved. Do you know what's true? The statistics now say that 95% of born-again Christians will live and die, never leading anybody to faith in Jesus Christ. Some people think in the audience, well, we paid the pastor to do that. We pay the staff to do that. But I'm telling you, saved people want to see people saved. Pastor preached a great word. He talked about the seed. He talked about the field. He talked about the rain. But the first point was the seed, but I'd like to compliment his message, not just the seed, the second thing is the need. The world needs Jesus. I had the privilege to preach last year in Plains, Georgia. I was invited by President Jimmy Carter to speak, the 39th president. President Carter, when he was president, initiated In 1978, the Susan B. Anthony Silver Dollar. It lasted for one and a half years, and they pulled it from circulation. It has made a comeback, but for a while, they stopped producing them. When I talk about Christians in a crisis, the problem is what President Carter saw in the late 70s. The Susan B. Anthony was worth a dollar, but it resembled identically, the quarter. And when I talk about Christians in a crisis, most of us have been saved and dipped in the rich red blood of Calvary from Emmanuel's veins that flowed down that cross like Niagara Falls. The problem is we have been bought with a price. We're born again. The names in the Book of Life praise God. But the problem is we are worth the Lord. But too many Christians look and act just like the world. If you believe it, you better be living it. And I'd like to just leave you with this in 10 minutes. I'd like to share with you two thoughts. There is the horrors of hell. I was on Fox News and... Uh, recently, but last year I was invited to speak on Good Friday, Fox News. And the problem is there are churches today who are preaching a Christless Christianity. They're preaching a crossless Christianity. And they are preaching that Christ is not even coming again. You know, you can build a church and still not grow the kingdom. Jesus called us to be fishers of men, but the problem is too many churches are stealing fish from another aquarium and calling that evangelism. He called us to be fishers of men, not swapping fish from another tank. 35,000 churches didn't baptize a teenager last year. Thank God That would never be said of you. But what I want you to see is the horrors of hell. Quickly. When I think of hell, most people don't even preach heaven these days. And a lot of churches certainly don't talk about hell. But it's a biblical fact. Christ spoke nine times more on hell than heaven. And when I think of hell, If we could interview anybody today, I've had the privilege to be in front of six US presidents. I've been on Air Force One, I've been to the Olympics, I've been to a few places. One, it means nothing outside of God. Two, it was God's grace that put me there. But three, if I could interview anyone publicly today, I wouldn't bring in a president, I would interview, if I could, for five minutes, someone today, burning in hell I've already seen it I wake up at night I can't get it out of my head but guys so many of us as Christians are so comfortable we've gotten complacent and ministry minus urgency equals catastrophe for the poor soul tonight I talked about a crowd above I've talked about a crowd beside but there's a crowd below if we could just grab one person from hell and interview him for five minutes first of all he would say screaming at the top of his lungs he remembers the times that his grandmother prayed for him that his spouse tried to tell him about jesus and he had no time the teenagers that thought it was a old folklore tale and the bible says that we will not forget in the depths of hell and you will remember and remember and remember and looking back would have done anything to get back and try to get it right one more time. But the problem with hell is once you're there, you don't get out. Quickly, not only remember the times, but they will be a recipient of torment. I saw an accident on the way to the airport coming here two days ago, and I saw them bring in the jaws of life and really rip it off. But the problem is one passenger lived, the driver died. If you are fortunate here in Arizona, in the great states of America, they have the jaws of life. And I don't believe in luck, but I believe in the Lord. If you are fortunate, they will pull you out. If you are fortunate and you're in an accident, they can call an ambulance and they can help you out. If your house tonight, if the Lord tarries, because I believe he could come before the service is over they would have the fire department come to your house with the red lights flashing. They would stick a 35-foot ladder to your door, and if you're fortunate, they may be able to pull you out. But the problem with hell is there's no 911. There's no ambulance. There's no police. There's no paramedics. There's no firemen because there's no hope in hell. Now, this is not glamorous preaching, but it's the gospel truth. Not only will they remember the times a recipient of torment, but the worst part, they are reachless and trapped. My friend Tony Nolan is a well-known pastor from Georgia. He told me of a story that he witnessed personally in Jacksonville, Florida. Tony was the youth pastor in Florida before moving to Georgia. There was a young teenager, 16 years old, always wore his hat back on, nothing wrong with that. He had jeans that hung around his backside. He just walked funny, he talked funny, he acted funny, but the goal is the reason they're acting funny because if they're not saved, they don't know any difference. Legalism is high on the law, but sadly low on love. And if we love them like the Lord, we can lead them to the Lord but if you ever legalistically try to lead someone without love, they'll never come to the Lord. I've never lost a debate with tears. And what I want you to see is when I talk about reachless and trapped, Tony witnessed to this kid, begged him to come to church. He had no time for him. And the young kid is pumping gas in Florida. He has a cigarette hanging from his mouth. And you can see it coming slow motion. A train getting ready to come off the track. And true story, the kid who had no time for God, the kid who's actually smoking, pumping gas, the kid who thought that he could live anywhere he wants, that he had time to catch up with God, the light skit, the gas exploded, and true story, 95% of his body... (laughs) is engulfed in flames. Tony said, Bible college didn't teach you how to minister to this. And when the boy is fighting for his life, 95% of his body engulfed in flames. When he's in the hospital, Tony, who begged him forever to come to church, when he turned the corner of the hospital, true story, Tony, my dear friend, I have his number in my cell phone, he said, Frank, I could smell him before I saw him, because firemen will tell you, if they smell burnt flesh, they never can forget the smell. And when he came in, he said that he got sick to his stomach when he tried to see his friend, who was completely melted. His eyes were almost hanging out of his head. He was turned to a dark, charcoal grayish black. And when Tony tried to get closer to show the compassion of Christ in a crisis... As he leaned over, he said he literally felt like he was going to vomit because of the awful smell. But he was trying to be like Jesus. He's trying to hold back his own lunch, and he's trying to tell him about the love of God. And the guy, because of tubes in his mouth and intense pain, he couldn't understand what the guy was saying. And he could hear, And Tony got a little closer, and he said to the guy, he begged to come to church, he said, what did you say? And he got closer, and he said, and he got a little bit closer, and he said, I can't understand what you're saying. What are you saying? And he said, and as he got closer to him, what he was trying to say was get a doctor and kill me. He was screaming, kill me. He was saying, kill me. Me. And the problem was because it was in such pain. He was begging that a paramedic, a physician, could kill him out of his misery. But the problem with hell is although it was hot on earth, it only gets hotter in hell and the flame, the fire never stops. Guys, I submit to you in love. I flew 4,000 miles. I could have preached anything else. I would have disobeyed God if I didn't preach this. Most folks have been saved so long, we forgot what it was like to be lost. And I'll leave you with this. I talked about the horrors of hell, but praise God for the hope, the hope, the hope, the hope of heaven. Someone once said, well, if God was so good, why would he send to such a bad place? And with love, humility on earth, and the authority of heaven, God doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves when we neglect such a great salvation. I'm going to ask right now all over the auditorium that you stand to your feet. I'm gonna close with one story, it only takes 90 seconds, and I want you not so much to think of me, I want you to listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Seven years ago, I left retirement, 401k, health insurance. I've not had health insurance in seven years. I don't get a dime from a local church. I don't get monthly support. I had 20 years working at the highest level for the US federal government, left it all by faith. I know what it's like to preach faith, I've also learned what it's like to totally live in faith. And guys, if you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. The reason I left Washington by faith, because heaven, not hell is the greatest party of all time. I'm just trying to get people to the party. I said this morning, you don't need the king of beers if you know the king of kings. There'll be no bikes, there'll be no beers, there'll be no bikinis in hell it's not a party but i'm telling you heaven will be the greatest party of all time i'll leave you with this true story my friend is a pastor in houston texas dr johnny pope he said a story i'll never forget he had a family member it got on a plane in the early eighties from los angeles to new york he's changing planes he's frying from new york to athens greece he couldn't believe his eyes because the number one television show in america was a police movie and coming from five generation Washington DC cops, my family has protected the last 26 of 28 US presidents. I believe it's a record. What intrigued him, intrigued me, is that the number one TV show today was Cops, but back then it was Telly Savalas. Kojak, the bald man. True story, Telly Savalas has the number one show in America He's known around the globe in the early 80s, and my friend is sitting on the plane, and who comes on first class is none other than Tully Savalas. He sits in the first class chair, puts on his seatbelt, but before he does, he throws his leather bag over top the first class compartment. He said loud enough that 212 people could hear a commercial, I'm Telly Savalas, I'm a big star, I'm dead tired, I want to be left alone, and sat down in the first class chair. The plane raced down the runway, hits 33,000 feet, and 30 minutes into the flight to Greece, true story, there's another man in first class, two seats behind him and left. He's wearing a nice suit, French cuff, cufflinks, a silk tie. He unbuckles his seatbelt, and he humbly approaches the Hollywood star. He said, Sir, I don't mean any harm. I've been a fan for a long time. I'd like to be a friend. I heard your wish. I just need five minutes. Will you tell me what Greece means to you? And Telly Savalas looked at him and said, What's your problem? You don't understand English? I told you, man, I'm a big star. I'm on vacation. I want to be left alone. And he told the man to sit down. He humbly sits down. Hour and 15 more minutes later, he unbuckles his seatbelt. He tries again. He comes up to Telly Savalas and said, I apologize. I'm wrong. I asked for five minutes. I need 60 seconds. Will you tell me what Greece means to you? I'm also from Greece, he said you are a big star you're one of our favorite sons will you tell me what greece means to you and he said what's your problem man i've told you once i've told you twice he said sit down an hour later the captain comes over and said in the next 15 minutes we'll begin our descent into athens greece the stewardess will come by for the last time to collect cups and trash And he had one more chance, and the man unbuckled his seatbelt, goes up to Telly Savalas, but from his peripheral vision, true story, the Hollywood star could see the man and can't believe he's coming back one more time. Telly Savalas ripped off his seatbelt, stood up nose to nose, and said loud enough that the entire plane heard, what's your problem? I've told you once, I've told you twice, told you three times. I don't have time for you back then. I certainly don't have time for you now. And he looked at him, and if looks could kill, true story, he murdered the man. I definitely don't have time for you when I get off the plane. His exact words with veins in his neck, sit down, you little peon. The man humbly sat down, put on his seatbelt. They touched down into Athens, Greece. The plane is going to the terminal, and Telly Savalas flips up his window shield, and what he sees next is 150 journalists on the runway. Telly Savalas rolled his eyes and said, this is ridiculous. I'm a big star. I didn't have any peace on the plane. And now I got 150 journalists that want to talk to me when I get off the plane. And he said, why don't they leave me alone? And he grabs his leather satchel. He's to be the first off the plane sitting in first class. The door's open. He's on his way to freedom. And true story, an Asian, a four-foot stewardess stood between him and the door, and the female screamed, Stop! And Telly Savalas said, you don't know who I am, lady. I'm a big star. Move out of my way. And she said, no. No one gets off the plane before the emperor. The man he rejected not once, not twice. True story, three times. He told the king of Greece no. Now watch this. The reason the king... Asked Tezali Savalas, what does Greece mean to you? Because the 150 journalists were not on the runway for Tele Savalas. They were there to interview the king. Number two, then he was going to say, Tezali, I've been a fan, I'd like to be a friend. Tell me, where are you staying in Greece? And he was going to brag, a five-star hotel, why do you ask? And with tears, all the king wanted to say is, that's nice, but not near as nice as my palatial palace, would you be my guest? But because Telly Savalas' true story had no time for the king on the plane, the king of Greece had no time for Telly Savalas' when he walked off the plane. How do we neglect such a great salvation because we treat God like an ATM machine and you go to him when times are bad, but I'm telling you, you don't stick Christ in the corner. You let him run your life and the rest you'll change history. But 95% will live and die never leading anybody to Jesus. I'm not 95%. But I don't get to heaven because we've seen thousands come to Christ. I am a sinner who was saved by the rich red blood, the sacrifice of God on the cross. And without God, I'd split hell wide open like everybody else. But I want to ask right now quickly with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you're 100% sure that you're born again, you know that your name's in the book of life. I will not embarrass you. But you know that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not in yourself. It's in Jesus Christ. He died and rose again. If you know that you're born again, you're not ashamed. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father on earth. Real quick, I will not embarrass you, but young or old. And the choir or in the corner quickly with no one looking. You know I'm, you're born again right now. I'll count to three. If you're born again and not ashamed, I want you to raise your hand real high. One, two, three. All over the auditorium. Frank, I know that I know that I know I'm born again. Second question, quickly. You're here today, and you know you're saved, but you got some friends who are lost. It could be a family, a friend, a fiance. It could be a colleague, a classmate, or a coworker. It could be a neighbor, a niece, a nephew. I don't know. But I'm sure you know somebody who, without the grace of God, will miss heaven and die to a fire in hell that never stops. There's a crowd above. There's a crowd beside. There's a crowd below. There's a Savior and the saints. There's the sinners and the saved. And there's Satan and the separated. Heaven is counting on you. Run with the cross that is true. Carry the cross, reach the lost, because heaven is counting on you. Spurgeon said it best. I preached to 5,000 Sunday, but 5,000 of my members preach Monday through Friday at their place of work. If you're saved, you're in the ministry, whether you got a degree or paycheck or not. He that winneth souls is wise. I'm going to count to three. You're born again. But being honest with this gospel preacher, Frank, I got friends who are lost. Would you care enough for someone's soul to just pray and raise your hand? One, two, three. Frank, I'm saved, but I got friends who are lost. Praise God. And just in case there's one or two, I just want to make sure you know why we left Washington. One, God called. But two, I'm telling you, building disciples and seeing people born again is where it's at. And if here today and you've never trusted Christ, i want to lead you in a prayer, just whisper this, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. You're the savior. I heard my whole life that Jesus died for the world. I realized tonight in Phoenix, if it was just me, Jesus would have died for me. Come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. Use me for your glory on earth. In Jesus' name, I repent of my sins. I want to live for you. I can't do it on my own, but with you in me, we can't fail. In Jesus' name, if you prayed that prayer with no one looking, would you raise your hand? I will not embarrass you, but is that anyone in here? One, praise God. Is there anybody else? Praise God two, is there anybody else? Anybody? Praise God. Three, four, five, six. Anybody else? I will not embarrass you. My last question, guys, with heads bowed and eyes closed, heaven is going crazy right now if one repents, but I want to hear me. This will make it worthwhile. I don't believe in manipulation, but I do believe in motivation. If you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. I'm going to ask right now with heads bowed and eyes closed for all of you who raised the hand of someone you know is lost. I'm going to ask you to take a big, bold step. You're not coming to me. You're coming to Christ. You want to see this church explode in growth and grace. Start inviting friends to church. Start getting a burden for the loss. Start losing sleep with tears, begging that a God in heaven would keep a friend on earth a little bit longer out of a burning future hell. 95% will live and die never leading anyone to Jesus. Is that you? And if you raised your hand, I'm just going to ask you publicly, when I count to three, be the first because it's easier for everyone else. I'm asking you to rededicate your life, to get a burden for the loss, roll up your sleeves, pray for your pastor, protect your pastor, and serve alongside your pastor because he that winneth souls is wise. And if you have a burden for loss, we're going to close out in a quick prayer, but if you can't do it here, you will not do it out there. But when I count to three, and there were many of you, I just quickly want you to come all over the auditorium and just stand. And you're saying publicly to God in heaven, God, use me to see somebody saved before you call me home or you come back. If that's you, I won't force you. I'm just going to count to three. If that's you, I want you to come. You come now. One, two, three. If you care enough for a lost person's soul, you begin to come.